Good to be with you at PC. We're studying the Ten Commandments, ten good words from our good Father. And this week we find ourselves in the Fourth Commandment. And what we'll do here is this will be part one of our sermon on this commandment. And then for the evening service, I've done a second part. And of course, I'm going to encourage you to listen to both of them. Uh, And our prayers are with Sam as he's having surgery this week and recovering. So let's get started. And to get started, let me encourage you to read all of the Ten Commandments, but especially verse 8 of chapter 20 of Exodus, where it says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So the legendary Australian golfer, Greg Norman, uh, when he was designing his very first golf course, he showed a reporter for, I think, an in-flight magazine, um, the place where this golf course was going to be in Australia. And the reporter asked him, well, Mr. Norman, I'm looking out here and I'm seeing nothing but forests. How do you go from wilderness to golf course? How do you do this? How do you even imagine it? And Greg Norman replied, he said, we're just going to remove everything that isn't golf course. (laughs) I think that's just wonderful. You can imagine Michelangelo doing the same thing with David, right? He sits there in front of the marble block, and he thinks, how do I do this? Well, I'm just going to remove all the marble that isn't David. This is addition by subtraction, right? This is discovery and creativity by removal. And when our good father says, you must not in these Ten Commandments, He's doing this. He's calling us to remove everything from ourselves and from our community life together that's not shaped like his own heart, that's not shaped like the life of our Lord Jesus. And so each one of these you must nots is actually just as creative as any one of the let there be's that come at the beginning of creation itself. And some people say that our not to do lists are just as important as our to-do lists, right? Say no to almost everything so that you can say yes to a handful of true and good and beautiful things. Saying no is good, right? It's not negative. So let's have our Bibles in one hand, so to speak, and let's make our not-to-do lists in the other hand. That'll be our task for this first sermon. Let's do some addition by subtraction, some creativity by clearing away, like Greg Norman. And then in part two of our sermon for the evening service, we'll draw up our actual to-do list as well. All right? So in order to make our not-to-do list, let's first look at God's not-to-do list on the first pages of our Bibles. And then we'll proceed to sketch our not-to-do list as we look closely at the fourth good word in the Ten Commandments. And then finally, we'll look at the life and ministry of Jesus, and we'll look at his not-to-do list. So that's the plan. God's, ours, and then finally, Jesus's not-to-do lists. So first, God's not-to-do list. What does it mean for God to make us new creations in Christ? 
Well, to begin to answer that, we can look all the way back at the beginning of our Bibles, and we can look at what God's very first creative work looked like. When God makes all things, what are the things that God puts on his not-to-do list each day? Andy Crouch says that we know, on the one hand, that the maker of the world neither slumbers nor sleeps. But, he says, it's clear that the creator of Genesis chapter 1 does not pull all-nighters. He does not pull all-nighters. That's the first thing on God's not-to-do list. No all-nighters. It's been actually two decades now, but I can remember it very clearly. It was 8.30 a.m. I drove to the campus of Kent State University. I turned in my final geology paper of the semester. I was a freshman. I had stayed up all night. I felt horrible. Uh, I was not proud of my work. I knew this is not how it's supposed to work, right? It was an awful feeling. The first page of our Bible is a poem to God's creative activity. But it's important to read this poem and see that God stops every evening after a day of work. There's no sleepless nights. There's no third shift. There's no caffeine pills. There's no quadruple espressos that he's slamming back at midnight. And the weird thing here is that, of course, God can work all night and not get tired. But God doesn't. And part of what makes God's creation and the first page of the Bible itself poetic are these stops in the action. It's not poetry if it's just a constant, run-on, breathless sentence, right, that goes on and on and on all day and all night. Poems have structure and form and rhythm and line breaks and stanzas and white space. How wonderful to see God stop every evening. How wonderful to read the first page of the Bible and to see the six days of creation broken into six beautiful stanzas, each of which finishes with a pause and then some white space. I wonder if your week reads like a poem. Does your life have white space? Or is your week just one breathless sprint from Monday to Friday, or maybe Monday all the way through Sunday? I wonder if you're pulling all-nighters literally or maybe just spiritually. All-nighters are not on God's to-do list. In fact, they're on his not-to-do list, even in the work of creation itself. So God's not going to pull all-nighters. And secondly, God is not going to worry about what is left to do. Worry about what's left to do is also on his not-to-do list. So when evening comes on the first day, and he's done with what he's going to do that day, that first day it was create light and then separate light and darkness. The whole creation is still formless. Nobody can live on this planet. There's so much left to do. But notice that there's not even a hint of anxiety about everything that is still left to be done. God stops, and it's as if you can hear him say, cool, daytime and evening, I like this. That's enough for today. And then at the end of the whole week, there's still so much left to do, but without anxiety, God stops working, and for an entire day. And so the sixth or the fourth commandment reads, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, 
but he rested on the seventh day. If I invited you to start a business with me, we were doing a startup, we would probably tell one another and our family and our friends and our employees, hey, look, we're starting a business. Days, nights, weekends, they're all gonna be crazy for a while. Let's get this startup off the ground. We'll relax later, right, when it's successful. Well, God is launching a startup here. It's called The Universe. And after just six days of work, God says, it's time for a full day of rest. And God, once again, doesn't need to rest. But God definitely doesn't need to worry about everything that's still left to do. In God's work of new creation, beginning with me and with you, we can expect that God is not going to be anxious, even like we are, desperate to finish the work now. And for me, anyway, that's great to know. And then the last thing on God's not-to-do list in the work of creation, maybe the most stunning thing on the list, is this third item. Do everything. Do everything is on his not-to-do list. Now, it's true, of course, Exodus 20 does say that God made all creatures in six, in six days. Genesis 2 says, after the sixth day, God had finished all the work that he had been doing. So there's a finishedness to it, right? But still, instead of God making all the birds that there would ever be, God makes a few birds. And then he says to the birds, be fruitful, multiply, increase in number, and fill the skies. And God says this kind of thing to every living thing. See, God can do everything, but do everything is on his not-to-do list. And in fact, if do everything was on his to-do list, then we wouldn't have a Bible. You and I wouldn't even exist. If God wanted to do everything alone, we wouldn't be here. And if the one who can do everything has do everything on his not to do list, then why are you and I so often putting do everything on our to do lists? It makes no sense. How will we ever keep Sabbath with do everything on the top of our to do lists? And when we put it there, it just steals and saps peace and sleep and joy from us every evening, every Sunday, every Monday. And that brings us, after seeing God's not-to-do list, that brings us now to our to-do list, which we've already, or our not-to-do list, which we've already been hinting at a little bit. As God's partners in this creative task, our not-to-do list is, of course, modeled after God's not-to-do list. And it's spelled out for us here in the fourth commandment, God's fourth good word to us. So what's first not-to-do? What do we need to clear away? If we are going to treasure our Father's rest, which I'm titling this sermon, then we must not treasure simply leisure and retirement. After all, the fourth good word says, six days you shall labor and do all your work. What it doesn't say is that work is bad and getting to the end of it is good. It's not something to be avoided or rushed through on your way to the next weekend or on your way to your next vacation or on your way to your 70s. The Ten Commandments are God's heart and they're built into creation. And gosh, we saw God worked even before we were around. And humans worked before we fell into sin. 
before work became so tough for us. So work, Christians, is not bad. Heaven, therefore, is not a long weekend or an early retirement where we just loaf around for all of eternity. And Sabbath, in the biblical vision of it, is not leisure. It's rest. And there's a big difference. It's rejuvenation and it's fellowship and it's worship. And it's a feast to God's work and a feast to celebrate the gift of collaboration with God in God's own work. The best elders in the best churches that I've belonged to have been elders who worked hard and rested well, whether they were in the middle of their careers or whether they were technically retired. They had treasure leisure on their not-to-do lists, and we need to have that there too, because work is good. Now you may be saying, well, leisure is not my problem. That's not my idol or my false god. Mine is success. Okay, yeah. Serving a slave driver of success is also on our not-to-do list. The sixth day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. A Sabbath, a Shabbat, a ceasing is the word. Why can't we fall asleep at night? Because our minds can't stop working out what we're going to try to do tomorrow to please the success gods. Why can't we even imagine sometimes taking a full 24 hours each week to rest and feast? Because when we start to think about it, it's like we can see the success gods hiding over there, frowning at us, just scowling at us, as if they're saying, you can't serve me and Sabbath at the same time. I won't give you what I've promised unless you promise me your nights and weekends, buddy. (laughs) Friends, like every idol, the slave driver of success, which promises so much in return for our loyalty, actually will end up demanding everything from us and will deliver nothing that it promised. Let me take this a little further. Andy Crouch says uh, in this stunning observation, he says that every false god will eventually demand the ultimate sacrifice. And what is that? Our children, child sacrifice. That's the reason why you had to get rid of these cultures in the promised land as Joshua and Israel were going in because they sacrificed their children to their gods. That was true of the idols of the ancient world. And in a way, different but real, it's still true today. So often we think that we are providing our children with a better life by serving the slave master of success. We think, I'll be a slave so that my kids can be free. (laughs) But it's a lie, because guess what? (laughs) The slave master wants your kids too. And of course, nobody ever says on their deathbed, gosh, I wish I'd just spent more nights and weekends at the office and less time with the people that I love. It's just not what we're gonna say. And then the third thing on our not to do list is this, control everything control everything. We weren't meant to harvest every last grape, to pluck and gather every last grain of wheat. We weren't meant to maximize and optimize every bit of our potential productivity. It's just not the way it was, it was made. There's a famous electronic store in Manhattan, 
uh, in New York City, B&H Photo, and it's run by Orthodox Jews, right? And their physical store in prime real estate in Manhattan, it closes on Friday before sunset, the Jewish Sabbath, and it opens again mid-morning on Sunday. And of course, that means they just let their, their website take automated orders during the Shabbat, right? Actually, no, they shut down the order process on their website too, so that even the electrons on their website get a whole day off. The point is not to give electrons a break. The point is that they don't have to control everything. How do you know that they don't have to be in control of everything? Because they can take their hands and their minds and their hearts off of the cash register for more than 24 hours every week. It's amazing. And after all, God, who does control everything, doesn't insist on doing everything. But we who don't control anything, why do we try to control everything? It's a fool's errand. When God says on the seventh day you shall not work, he's insisting that control is impossible and idolatrous and really kind of idiotic. We stop working to remind us that we are not in control. So we've seen God's to-do list, or God's not to-do list, our not to-do list. Let's take a look at Jesus's not to-do list. Because actually everything on God's and our not to-do lists end up on Jesus's not to-do list as well. And get this, Jesus checks off every item. Let's take a look. What's on Jesus's not to-do list? Number one, especially with respect to the Sabbath. Number one, Jesus has no interest in rule keeping for rule keeping's sake. First on his not to do list is submitting to legalism. You see, the hypocritical religious leaders of the time, they try to use Sabbath laws and their additions to those laws to trap Jesus. Oh, he doesn't follow the rules that we have layered on top of the actual rules. Obviously, this Jesus doesn't follow, doesn't submit to God because he doesn't submit to the Sabbath with the same strictness with which we submit to the Sabbath. And what does Jesus say in response? Something to the effect of, well, you're wrong and you're hypocrites. But really what he's saying is my father's law is an expression of his heart. And I'm not going to allow your cold hearts to freeze my heart because my heart beats in rhythm with my father's heart expressed in his good words. So Jesus refuses to hear anything but love from his father's law. So he'll not submit to legalism. Legalism is not submitting to God's law. That's not what legalism is. Legalism is the cold-hearted insistence that everybody else be as miserable as I am while I'm trying to impress God with my submission to man-made additions to his law. And Jesus will have none of it. He hasn't come to fulfill the expectations of established religious leaders. On the other hand, Jesus says clearly that succumbing to license is also on his not-to-do list. He's not going to submit to legalism, but he's also not going to succumb to license. He has not come, he says, to abolish the law. If you think Jesus is some revolutionary who frees us from moral constraints, from ethics, 
Well, you haven't met the real Jesus yet, because the last thing that Jesus has is a heart that just wants to wander away from his father's heart expressed in the father's good words. He came to be the beating heart of his father for the sake of the world and to fulfill the law. And so we look to the heart of Jesus to see what freedom really looks like, because Jesus knows that true freedom comes only when we live and when we love like his father does. And then last on Jesus's not to do list is this, stifle creativity. Jesus spends 30 years, think about it, apprenticing as his heavenly father's disciple before he starts his ministry. He spends his young adulthood apprenticing actually in his earthly father, Joseph's carpenter shop. And then he goes and he picks 12 apprentices, disciples, and he apprentices them in his rabbinic teaching, his way of life. And instead of a wearying duty that he imposes on these disciples, he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There's rest for your soul, even when you're working, if the person you're working with and for is the Lord Jesus. And there's rest for your body and your soul and spirit when you follow the Lord of the Sabbath, that's what he calls himself, into his Sabbath rest. One day in seven, yes, and spiritually all the time. And then out of the overflow of this rhythm of rest and work, the Lord of the Sabbath, the Lord Jesus, calls forth never-ending creativity from his well-rested followers. And that's his plan, and his father's plan. Thanks be to God that Jesus came not to abolish the law or to be more strict than anybody else, but to love his father's heart expressed in his father's good words to us. Thank God that Jesus cleared away every aspect of our fallen humanity until all that was left was his true and good and beautiful life, lived in our flesh and lived for our sake and then offered to his God and Father so that his God and Father could be our God and Father and that we could join the family business. Rest, work, rest, work, and all of it very good in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, receive our work and receive our rest this day, for we want to rest and dwell in our Lord Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath and our Savior. We make our prayer in his name. Amen.